Welcome to the HR Chat Show, one of the world's most downloaded and shared podcasts designed for HR pros, talent execs, tech enthusiasts, and business leaders. For hundreds more episodes and what's new in the world of work, subscribe to the show, follow us on social media, and visit hrgazette.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. I am your guest co-host, Kirsten Greggs, and I am so pleased to be joined today by Brooks E. Scott, who is an executive coach, communication specialist, and a DEI strategic advisor. He's also the founder and CEO of Merging Path Coaching, where where he's coached hundreds of managers and trained thousands of employees on managing unconscious bias, feedback, how to give and receive, values, discovery and alignment, and conversations of race and allyship in the workplace. He coaches by drawing from all of his experiences in life. As a former vice president of safety operations for a cybersecurity company, the manager of operations for the protection team for the CEO and COO of Facebook, a former New Jersey State Trooper, and from being a former fifth grade school teacher. Brooks, welcome. How are you? Thank you. Thank you. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's good to, good to spend some time with you today. Thanks for having me. So please introduce yourself. Uh, like you, I'm from New Jersey. I don't know if you're from New Jersey. I know you said ah. you were a state trooper, but I'm from New Jersey. I'm a Jersey John. So you might be a Jersey bull. I don't know. Uh, but introduce ah, yourself a little more, in a little more personal way for us. Yeah, yeah, no, I didn't know. Yeah, so I was I was actually born in Pittsburgh, but we moved to Jersey when I was like three years old, so I don't have any memories of, of there. So I consider myself to be a Jersey boy too. Um, so yeah, happy to be here with you. So uh, I live in Oakland, California, but I have a place uh, back in New Jersey still too. And so every two weeks, I actually jump between the two coasts. Uh, I do a lot of uh, a lot of the in person facilitation is really starting to expand across companies now, and so. Um, the remote environment, which is what I mostly worked in when I when I when I started my company, has now uh, gone very much in person, and so kind of uh, jump around uh, different places and, and teach and train. And I I love combining the leadership development with the diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so the companies that hire me just for diversity work, I slip in a little bit of leadership and development when you're not looking. Uh, and the companies that hire me just for leadership and development, I slip into DEI when you're not looking because I feel like we can't really be great leaders nowadays without learning how to be great communicators and learning how to apply a lens of, of diversity and inclusion. Thanks for tuning in to the HR Chat Podcast. If you're enjoying this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you could subscribe and leave a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. And now back to the conversation. I I love that. I love how you said that you can't separate the two. So thinking about TA week, now you've been a part of TA week uh, for not just this past one that was in July, but you also facilitate a workshop, one of the master classes um, at the winter 2023 TA week. I did. and that was on called conscious inclusion and hiring practices. So for some people, they don't understand what conscious inclusion means. So what, what would you say are the key components of an inclusive hiring process? Uh, so, so many things. I mean, you know, uh, most people uh, think that they don't have bias 
Um, I have bias, you have bias, I teach this stuff for a living, and I still have bias. And so the conscious part about the conscious inclusion in hiring practices is really helping people um, first understand that these assumptions that we're making uh, are influencing the way that we're showing up in interviews from the way we're writing job descriptions to the types of questions changing depending on what the person looks like who's in front of us or something that we connect with them on. Um, this idea that we've 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 rested on the assumption that we've we've always hired the best candidate for the job, and I really in this course challenge people to define what that means because that can change depending on 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 how we're on how we're viewing people. And so, I think that the good components of that are from the job description questions that we're asking, um, the promotional process the interview process, uh, everything from start to finish on building more inclusive uh, interview process and hiring process. All right. So unconscious bias. We hear a great deal about that. Everyone talks about it. And as of late, there's been a great deal more talk about how AI tools, job descriptions, which you mentioned, even our salary negotiations and other things are full of bias, whether conscious or unconscious. How can TA teams ensure bias is minimized when they're going about the recruitment process? Yeah, you know, it's it's very interesting. You mentioned um, these AI tools, and I'm a big proponent of of, of technology. I, I I work in tech. One of the one of the main groups that I that I work with. And so, the first question is, you know, who's the one who's building? Who are the people who are building these AI tools? And if we don't have inclusive teams, these teams will be building these tools in their in their own image with their own biases. And we see this show up from algorithms, internet search results, and it's also going to be built into what everyone's talking about now is, is, is chat GPT. And so one of the ways that we can start to mitigate this is we 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 have to we have to start double checking ourselves and double checking the people that we're working with. And so this is why I think the communications piece is so important when we're talking about diversity, equity, inclusion, because if I'm seeing something or I have a question and I don't know how to approach you or I'm uncomfortable talking to you about it, I'm more likely just going to let it slide. And then we end up building these whole policies and processes that haven't been checked against our, our own biases. So what happens when you, you mentioned the, the AI tools and, and I have, you mm -hmm. know, been keeping up with it, obviously, especially chat GPT. And then there was this huge article that I even posted and, and made some comments on with higher education. And someone asked a tool to, you know, tell me what the department heads would look like or what someone in the departments would look like. And there were no persons of color. Uh, all of the women were in like non-scientific, non-mathematical uh, disciplines and things like that. So the bias was there, or then we'll see someone ask, make my profile picture more professional for their LinkedIn profile. And it changed an Asian person to have more Eurocentric features, like completely yeah. changed the way that they look. So there's, there's things like that. Now, what happens when a recruitment team, which isn't very diverse or a recruitment team that's, that's very homogeneous goes about recruiting and, and they're told, okay, take the bias out, like what are, what's like one way that, that recruiters can check themselves uh, if they are in a situation where they're not part of an underrepresented or historically excluded group? 
Yes, uh, such a, I mean, such a great question. There's there's so many things we can do, and so there's there's no one quick solve to this, and it's not something that we're ever going to be that we're ever going to be done with. And so we have to build this into into practice, um, asking ourselves questions: Would I say or ask this question, or do what would I think this thing about this person if they identify differently than they do um, in, in in front of me? Um, one of the, the the quick tips I can share with people, I share with people a lot is what are the specific actionable and measurable things that you're using to evaluate this person? Because if you say, um, oh, they, did, they just didn't feel like they were that confident of a leader, or I kind of think they were a little bit, they talked about themselves a little bit too much. And first of all, like you're on an interview. So like, I hope you're not talking about somebody else. I hope you're talking about yourself. But comments like that, we use in negatively correlated ways to describe certain people from underrepresented groups. And so if I see someone make a comment like that, like, okay, you said that you said that this person lacked confidence. What are the specific actionable and measurable things that you would say that you would need to see in order for this person to make you feel like they are confident? And if you can't answer that question, it's probably coming from your bias. And I think it's an interesting example because we think about people who are in the neuro in a neurodivergent community. And so, you know, I, I, I read this somewhere and it said, um, if you've met one person who's autistic, you've met one person who's autistic. And so this, the, the, it shows up differently for people depending on, on where, where they are. And so some people who are autistic have extreme difficulty maintaining eye contact in person. And so can you imagine all the people that got cut out of the interview process for lacking confidence because they couldn't look you in the eye, which has nothing to do with someone who may actually have uh, extreme difficulty for this. And so if I see these phrases that are open to interpretation, I, I, I teach people how to start asking questions to pull out what's, what's actually behind those, those things. At the most recent TA week, your presentation was on building and empowering employee resource groups, which are an excellent, pardon, resource for employees to learn about different groups. What are the most effective ways TA teams can partner with and leverage ERGs? The, the first thing I would say to that would actually be the, the, the reverse perspective, where I think in order for these employees employee resource groups to partner with the talent acquisition teams, they, they really need to come up with a, a mission statement. Um, what is it, what is the objective and what is it, what is it that we're trying to accomplish as a result of building this employee resource group? And so when you have that mission, that mission statement written and you've communicated it out to the different departments, they can better understand what they need to do to show up in the space uh, with, with your group. And so I would actually start on, on the other side uh, making sure that that the teams have like what is what is the what is the mission for us, and I think for these these TA teams, um, it's really sitting back and learning how to ask better questions and listen. So what happens a lot of time? This happens particularly with managers that have been managing teams for for years. They they think that they have all the answers when it comes to management, or have all the answers when it comes to hiring people, and. And that's great that they have experience, but there's so much that we can learn by listening 
And for a lot of these talent teams, if these talent teams don't have people that come from different backgrounds, it's a very uncomfortable space for someone who's in a majority group to sit in a room with other people who are in the non-majority group. But that's what it's going to take. And so, like, get, like, don't just get in because you want to find people from different backgrounds. Like, get in because you're curious to learn and understand the experience at work that that some people are having that you would never have from a firsthand experience. Appreciate that. And that's great advice. I'm going to ask you for some more advice now. Yeah. Again, going back to the news, we're seeing DEI teams in being disrupted. We're seeing DEI leaders leaving their positions. <laughs> it's just been a lot going on in, in the news yeah. here in the U.S. <laughs> so what's one piece of advice you would you have for DEI leaders and practitioners who want to show their value at a time like this and say, hey, DEI is still a necessity? Yeah, I mean... It's kind of the way that I've built my practice. Um, I have nine different courses that I, there's one There's one course I didn't build that I teach through my friend's company, but the other courses that I, I built. And so every single course can stand alone by itself. You can come in and do one and, and then that's it. You can do all of those courses through the lens of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And you can do all the all those courses through the lens of leadership development. And so what I'm seeing happen a lot of times in companies, it's, it's, it's unfortunate, but this is what's happening. It's easy for a company to cut the diversity budget because some companies are doing this work and they actually don't mean it or care, or care about it. And we see when these diversity positions and, uh, and budgets get cut. But if you're doing this work through leadership development, Leadership development will stand longer for some companies than it will for DEI. I'm not, I'm not saying that that's how it should be and that that's right, but that's the reality of where a lot of companies are. And so what I've found to be very successful is for to make sure that DEI practitioners and people who are in the space find a way to tie your diversity initiatives to the overall company values, to the overall company mission, to the overall company vision, um, to leadership development so that we can show how important and impactful this work is um, through, through other ways other than just diversity. I want to go back to ERGs for a second, because like I mentioned, that was your topic for Talent Acquisition Week. What is a common misstep organizations make when first building out their ERGs? What I love so much about the ERGs is that they are full of talented, experienced, passionate people who care about this space. They care enough to want to build this employee resource group. And most of the time, companies are not paying them more for this extra work and labor that they're doing. And for a lot of times, it can be, it can be emotionally intense labor to, to put these programs together. And so what happens when you have a lot of talented, experienced, intelligent, and passionate professionals. People want to want to want to do everything that's possible. And that's great. Um, but one of the things that burns out a lot of people in those positions and burns out the groups is trying to do too much all at one time. And especially if a company has never had this group before, one of the things I do in my advisory work is like 
what are the one or two initiatives that you want to accomplish with this employee resource group for, it could be this year, it could be this six months, it could be this quarter. Like pick one or two things and knock those one or two things out the park. And it's a, it's a, when people do too much, it's coming from a great place. But if you, you only have so many people who also have a day job and who also have to deal with their managers who haven't been trained and who also have to deal with their home life. And if you try to do 18 different projects over the course of four months, you're going to burn out. And if it's not successful, it's going to give reason to people who don't believe in ERGs for like, why, why are we even doing this? And so the, and it's a, it's a, it's a difficult piece of advice for some people to hear um, because we want to take it all on, but it's, it's more effective. It'll be a longer term solution and it'll prove the value and the importance. If you just pick one or two things to focus on in the beginning. Again, great advice. Thank you. So just to wrap up, where can we go to learn more about you and Merging Path Coaching LLC? Yeah. Um, so my website is mergingpath.com. My name is Brooks E. Scott. I'm on Instagram, uh, Brooks E. Scott. I'm also on, on TikTok. And I'm also the host of a podcast called Emerging Path Podcast. And this podcast is, is created to help us have all the conversations that we continue to avoid in our personal lives and our professional lives. And so, hey, you can hit me up on any on any of those. I'm, 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 I do a lot of heavy stuff on LinkedIn as well, which is which is always always fun. And so, yeah, feel free to reach out if you have any any questions. Thank you so much. Okay, everyone, make sure you check him out. Like he said, LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok, and then also come back for the final episode of the TA Week recap here on HR Gazette. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the HR Chat Show. If you enjoyed this episode, why not subscribe and listen to some of the hundreds of episodes published by HR Gazette. And remember, for what's new in the world of work, subscribe to the show, follow us on social media, and visit hrgazette.com.